Other horns don't. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's the same place they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Got a family. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Don't let play against them. And make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Folks, it is football season, and you have Dave kicking off the season riding solo again this evening. But I just want to give a a quick recap of Alabama's just dismantling of Louisville. Louisville, 51-14, what a phenomenal game. What a great way to start the season. And in so many ways, if you listen to our preseason offense and our preseason defensive shows, uh, this game really manifests. This game really represented well uh, some of the forecasts that we had for the season. So why don't we take that and why don't we jump right in and talk about offense first as we do. You know, you really can't talk offense without talking quarterbacks. And for all of the call it bluster for all of the heavy panting that went on for the last six months. Who is going to be the starting quarterback in 26 and two and Jalen deserves a chance and two is a better passer and all of that. And, and Saban not really wanting to talk about it. And it sounds like even, you know, immediately after the game still didn't want to talk about it too much. It really unfolded about the way I expected about the way most people expected it. Back in January, Tua was the starter and Jalen came in. Tua looked phenomenal. Uh, Jalen looked good, but in comparison, it paled. And that puts Saban in a unique position. And we'll break down the numbers and whatnot. But Saban's in a unique position. And we're, and we're seeing sort of the angst that he has. Uh, Saban is loyal to his players especially players that work hard and do everything that they're supposed to and uh, that are leaders on the team. He is loyal to those players. And I don't want to say loyal to a fault because I don't, I don't, I don't think there is a fault in that, but he's certainly loyal to his players. And if you take a player like Jalen who came in as a true freshman where there really were not other viable candidates and he has played two years in a row, led the team to the national title two years in a row it, there, there is a, a certain amount of angst to take that player out. There's a certain amount of angst to want to replace that player with someone else. I was thinking of this Saturday night after the game when Saban had sort of his comments with, with Maria Taylor, and hey, she was a true professional in that, and, uh, and I think she's you know very good at her job, and I think she handled that situation well. I think Saban was a little out of line, and I think Miss Terry got to him. And I think, I think you know that he's remedied that that situation. But I felt that night kind of what he said in the press conference a little bit, and it's a little over the top, but but I get the metaphor, I get the analogy that he's making. It's like when you have two children, uh, one of them's better at one thing than another, and that doesn't have to mean that you like one child better than another, but one child you can trust to watch the other. One child's not going to burn the house down. And in this case, with Tua and Jalen, you have two high-class individuals, 
and you want to put your arms around both of them, and certainly you can do that, but one is more capable of leading the team at the quarterback position and is more dynamic at the quarterback position than the other. And that being true does not have to equal the other being a bad person. It's not quite that polar, but um, I think that's sort of the angst. That's some of the internal angst that, that Saban has going on. I think that everything Saban does is done through the lens of recruiting. And, and this quarterback battle is two sides of that coin. If you put a quarterback in that can't distribute the ball and can't maximize the talent on offense, then you're going to have a hard time getting that talent. You're going to frustrate the existing talent, and you're going to have a hard time getting that next wave of talent. So you have to put the ball distributor in that's, uh, that demonstrates, look how proficient we can be on offense, how electric we can be on offense, and how everyone has a, an opportunity to be a star. That helps recruiting. The other side of that coin is if you say Coach Saban takes, you know, you can go 26-2, and two, you can lead the team to two national titles, and you're not guaranteed a starting position, that can have a reverb around recruiting as well. And so if you kind of unpack – there's a negative recruiting angle on both sides. There's almost not a right answer when you look at it through the lens of recruiting, or when you look at it through th that, that lens. But if you look at it through what gives us the greatest opportunity to win this game, to win all of our games, and to win a national title, it's Tua. And I think that Saban did not want to make the decision in a vacuum. He didn't want to choose one quarterback over the other quarterback in the confines of closed practices. It's almost as if he wanted a public viewing of the decision process. And that's where he said that both quarterbacks would play. And indeed, they both did play. And it became quite apparent which direction he should go in. I don't, I would say even the most ardent Jalen supporters could look at that performance Saturday night and concede that Tua was the more dynamic quarterback. Uh, Jalen didn't look bad, but he didn't do the same things Tua did. And so what did what did they do? Okay, well, let's jump into some of the numbers. Tua was 12 of 16 for 227 yards, two touchdowns. Those aren't huge numbers, but he could have easily doubled those if he had the possessions that Jalen had. And if we had not visibly taken the foot off the gas, Tua could have easily have doubled those numbers. 12 of 16 could easily be 24 of 32 with four or five touchdowns, 450 to 500 yards passing would not have been out of out of conceivable, uh, would not have been out of reason given the pace that he was on and the way that he was performing, just even from the opening snap. On five of two of his possessions, uh, and in fact, his first five possessions went went for four touchdowns. Um, the one that uh, the one that didn't go for a touchdown ironically, was where Devonta Smith fumbled. And I don't really blame Devonta for that. Uh, he was holding the ball well. He was holding it tight. Um, and God just put his hat right on the ball. And so he was textbook. And so that's that's how that's, that's going to happen. And the beauty of that play, and this is where Saban gets frustrated because people often will complain about the result rather than or the outcome rather than the the process or the 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 decision sometimes a good decision can have a bad result sometimes a bad decision can have a good result but if you play by percentages good good decisions will have good results more often than bad 
decisions will, right? And that's kind of how it works. And so that's where Saban gets frustrated because sometimes it is cloudy. Sometimes it is is a little gray. And I look at this uh, fumble from Devonta, that play, uh, sort of under that micro- microcosm. In that circumstance, Tua was getting pressure, and he moved to get out of the pressure. And not to pick on Jalen, but that's the type circumstance where you would often see Jalen run. Tua certainly could have run, but but Tua maneuvered and distributed the ball to Devonta. The whole concept, the whole ball distributor, the whole the whole sort of point guard mentality is put the ball in the hand of your playmakers. And he certainly did that. He got the ball out, uh, ball out to Devonta Smith. It just had an unfortunate outcome in that there was a fumble. But even just that play, that decision-making process that he went through there was masterful, and that's what you want a quarterback to do. You don't want um, you don't want to just take off running. Even Saban said it, and he felt like he was not trying to pile on. And, and I know he's intentionally not wanting to, but you could just you just could almost hear sense the frustration in the words where he said, you know, those are situations. Tua is is able to keep his eyes downfield, and other quarterbacks when faced with that pressure, they take their eyes down, which limits their their outcomes. It limits what they can do. Uh, the, their eyes will come down. They can't see the field. And then their and their recourse is to run. And I think that's that in a microcosm without mentioning Jalen. I think that's what Saban was was speaking to. Tua can continue to look down the field, even the, in the face of the rush. Jalen struggles with that on uh, one of one of Tua's passes to Jerry Judy, it was masterful. It reminded me of the play he made to DeFonta in the in the Vanderbilt game where he sort of spun out of the pressure and put the ball up in the air, even as he was being hit. And I think we all sort of held our breath when he was down and, and not getting but getting up. But fortunately, you know, uh, he came back. And, and again, Tua was, I think, what we have been looking for, what Alabama faithful uh, has been looking for at the quarterback position. Jalen, on the other hand, again, was not bad. Uh, he was just not dynamic in the way that, uh, that Tua is throwing the ball. Jalen was five of nine for 70 yards. And uh, he rushed for three times, uh, three times for nine yards. And he was intentionally. I thought this was interesting that that Jalen was intentionally not trying to run. He was trying to work through his his progressions. And it and there's a little bit of too little, too late. And I hate to say that, and and it sound insensitive, but too, uh, but Jalen was 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 playing as if running were not an option. And I think that's how he probably could have entered last season. If he had worked the offseason, last offseason, probably like he did this offseason with the mentality of I am going to become a passer. I'm going to improve that part of my game. Running is not an option unless it's a designed run or unless truly there's not a passing option because it's still a dynamic skill to have. Uh, I think that if he had taken that approach a year ago, we might have seen, you know, some of the development that we were kind of expecting from him. But Jalen, you know, like I said, five of nine, 70 yards, not bad, but not prolific. Uh, He did not lead uh, any touchdown scoring drives. Uh, Again, he was trying to stay in the pocket, trying not to run. And uh, in one instance where he did scramble, he actually missed seeing Najee break free. And uh, that's a pass where, uh, again, 
just the intuitiveness and the instinctiveness, knowing where players are going to be. I think that's a play where Tua would have seen Najee, and uh, that play may have gone for a touchdown, certainly for a big gain. And that's just something that Jalen, when he starts to take his eyes down, uh, he misses those those breaking developments, those players breaking free. And as many dynamic players as we have, it is critical, critical to maximize the talent that you keep your eyes downfield. You keep looking for that breaking player, and you're able to deliver when it happens. I want to move on to other positions. Uh, we played six running backs, which, which was certainly more than I was expecting. Um, I thought uh, I thought Ronnie would get a carry, and he certainly did. I actually uh, sort of Facebooked out, messaged, you know, that he better start warming up there in the third quarter, and certainly he did. He had some carries. Uh, Brian Robinson, for my money, looked looked the best of the running backs. Uh, Damian Harris looked really good, and it was certainly good to see. Um, you know, all of all of the backs performing well. Uh, Josh Jacobs back at full health is certainly dynamic. But but Brian, I think he had some pent up angst, uh, if you will. He didn't get quite all the love and, and he's sort of the forgotten player in the mix. And he was seven for 42. Uh, I thought I thought he looked uh, really, really strong Saturday night. Najee looked good, but uh, I think he probably you know, in the next couple of weeks, we'll get back up to full speed. He missed some time in camp and was on a wearing a boot for a little bit. So I think we're going to see more of Najee as we go along. And then Damian Harris, you know, you get you get what you get with Damian Harris, which is a lot. Uh, I think he could start almost anywhere else in the conference and, and be, you know, an all-conference type player. So I think we have multiples of those guys, and that's certainly fun to see. The receivers, you know, seven receivers call passes. Uh, five had two or more which was incredible. Uh, we mentioned Devonta Smith. He had four for 99. Really looked like uh, sort of the the breakout receiving star of this game. Uh, and I think that's going to be a rotating mantle. Uh, Jerry Judy had, you know, four catches as well for 64 yards. He had a pair of touchdowns. Uh, he looked really good. And then just bursting on the seams, and we'll talk about him in special teams as well. But you got to love Jalen Waddell and his uh, three catches for 66 yards, but primarily his catch downfield where it looked like he caught the back end of the ball and just made a phenomenal play, uh, the extension there, grabbing the ball. Um, he, he looks like he's going to be a star and that certainly is congruent with what we heard coming out of camp. And, um, it's going to be fun to watch him develop week to week and certainly, uh, over his career, you know, the offense as a whole, we talked about it just being a dynamic performance. You put up 51 points in a, in a season opener. That's just amazing. Look at the teams that now there were teams that came out and played really well, but you look across the landscape, there's some teams that fumbled. There's some teams that, uh, that that sort of stumbled out of the gates, teams that um, that struggled, that looked rusty. Alabama comes out like clockwork, puts up 40, 50, 60 points uh, to start the season. You know, all the talk about NFL teams needing four preseason games to sort of get their legs under them for the season. Alabama comes out, hangs up 51 to start the season. You know, 519 yards of offense, uh, pretty good distribution, 222 rushing, 297 passing. Uh, you know, again, as we see more and more of Tua in that position, um, and we're not trying to force snaps to Jalen, uh, I think that that we'll see those numbers inch up a little bit. So that's going to be interesting. 21 first downs um, is is phenomenal. And we achieved all of this in only 31 minutes uh, time of possession. And so we were able to move the ball uh, pretty aggressively down the field. 
another stat that jumped out to me, which which was phenomenal, was was ten of fifteen in third down conversions. The games that that we struggled, the games that Alabama struggled in last year. Think about Mississippi State. Think about the Auburn game. We struggled to convert third downs. And uh, when you're three and out, three and out, the first half of the Georgia game was just was just you know prototypical three and out type football and what it will get you. And to go 10 of 15 on third down conversions uh, certainly is good. I want to say one more thing about the the quarterback situation and uh, and and you know in particular uh, Jalen. I absolutely love the kid. I really do. I think that he has been uh, an asset to the program, continues to be an asset to the program. I think he's, you know, there's a little bit of sort of legendary status that that he's achieved and what he's been able to do. So nothing that I could ever say would be mean-spirited or intended to undercut him in any sort of way. I think part of the angst that Saban has is the unknown next. What do you now do? With Jalen, uh, if he came out and his and his performance was on par with Tua, or or there was not sort of multiple degrees of separation, then you could maintain that the quarterback battle battle is live. We're going to continue to 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 use both players; they can both serve the team. But Saban's press conference, his Monday press conference, you know, sort of almost like closed the book on that. But, you know, he, he clearly established that Tua is the starter on a go-forward basis, and we will look for ways to leverage Jalen's talent and skill set on a go-forward basis. And so there's a little bit of concession there, and there's a little bit of an opportunity. What really does that mean? Does, is he now just the second-string quarterback? Uh, is it as simple as that? And he gets – playing time in every game the rest of the season. Uh, presumably we're up, we establish a margin, but he would get playing time in almost every game the rest of the season. Or is it more nuanced than that? Because Jalen's going to graduate. He'll have the opportunity to be a graduate transfer. The redshirt rule is is almost tailor-made for this situation, or it's a layer of complexity for this situation. I'm not sure which yet. But you can play in up to four games and still redshirt, and Jalen has not yet redshirted, so he has that available to him. So do you maintain that Jalen's the number two quarterback in which he clearly plays in more than four games? Or do you try to preserve his two seasons of eligibility so that he can be available, sort of break, in glass, break glass in case of emergency style quarterback, uh, playing a couple of big games, but don't get him over four. Let him be able to redshirt. And then he can, as a graduate transfer, go somewhere and have two years to complete out his career. And and really two years makes him an attra- a more attractive uh, recruit. And it gives him an opportunity to sort of reestablish his persona, reestablish himself in another offense. And you think, which is the better thing to do? If you're Saban, which is the better thing to do? If you're Jalen, which is the, the the larger context better thing to do? And and again, there's two interpretations, and I think one is one is more nuanced or or one is more pragmatic than the other, if you will. You could say, look, he's going to ride out as the backup quarterback. He's going to serve in that capacity, and much like Tua did last year. And if things break a certain way, then maybe he gets to be the hero at the end of the season. But he's definitely going to be the backup, going to play in as many games as possible, contribute as much as possible, and then that's just – you go that route. Or 
do you do him more of a solid by taking him off the field? And that and and that convolutes the issue, right? Because then have you really outwardly does it look like you've really just thrown him under the bus when you've gone to great lengths of not wanting to do that? Or are you taking the long view and and saying, I want to protect you kind of from yourself. I want to protect you from, you know, wasting the year. And you're going to be able to have two years somewhere uh, somewhere else to reestablish your brand. And that may be the better long-term play. And that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, I suspect when we play Arkansas State this coming weekend, we will need a second quarterback to come into play. It'll be quite interesting to to see who that is. For my appreciation for Jalen, I'm kind of torn. Uh, I would still like to see him come out this year. I would like to see some of his dynamic runs. Um, I'm not through seeing what he's capable of doing for us. Uh, at the same time, I do think there is a longer play that says, you know what? I don't mind having another team that I root for for two seasons where Jalen is their starting quarterback uh, and really have a, has a chance to really establish himself there. So I think I'm, I'm it's, it's, it's backwards as backwards as this will sound, uh, I think I'm kind of rooting for him not to play a whole lot this season. And uh, I know that sounds um, – I know that even to my ear sounds strange, but I think that's what I'm going for there. So that's what I have on offense. That's uh, sort of a, an elongated discussion of the quarterback. Uh, but that's that's what we have there. I know that Tommy is super excited that, <laughs> that Tua played and uh, probably isn't as sentimental on some of this as I am. And that's certainly fine. But uh, uh, I think Bama fans uh, sort of around the world are uh, and, and I mean, that literally because we hear from some of you. Uh, I think the Bama fans around the world are excited about uh, Tua having a chance and just how dynamic this offense can be. We'll have to see many game balls for offense. Uh, I'm going uh, Ross Pierce Baker. And I'll tell you why. Um, he moved over to center and performed, uh, I thought, very, very well. Uh, there was no, there seemed to be no disruption with the snap. Uh, and uh, that's a tough position to, to move into and under live game action. Um, and I thought he acquitted himself well. So given Pierce Baker the, um, the mini game ball. So let's slip over to uh, defense. And if anything, I would say our defense played better than I was expecting them. I know we gave up 14 points, and that's never fun, and you always want to get the shutout. But the, the reality is, and I didn't predict this game necessarily. I think if I had, I would have gone something in the neighborhood of, of you know, 48 to 21. So I would have, you know, maybe had us a couple of points back, and I would have given them another touchdown. They moved the ball. Uh, in the air, which we knew that we knew that they would uh, with our young secondary and sort of our lack of depth on of defense. We knew that they would they would make hay. Um, I was surprised our defense played better than than expected. I thought Louisville would move the ball better, uh, both uh, on the ground and in the air. And um, and and our defense was was really held fast. Um, they played with a chip and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but they held Louisville to 16 rushing yards. I knew that Louisville wouldn't be a dynamic rushing team, but I thought that the pass would certainly open up running opportunities. I thought they'd have, you know, 50 to 70 uh, rushing yards, uh, but to hold, hold them to 16, I thought was, was very nice. Uh, they were four of 14 on third downs. And so in, in pressure uh, pack situations, the, the defense really acquitted themselves 
uh, well. And then 250, doing the math in my head, 252 uh, passing yards. Uh, yeah, that's probably about right. Uh, I would have ex expected them to net out more production from those yards, not just the yards, but uh, in resulting points. But uh, yeah, that's probably about what I what I thought. Uh, let's start with the defensive front. I thought they were just incredible. Uh, again, 16 rushing yards. Uh, I thought they played really, really well. I thought Quinn and Williams, um, you know, we talked about him emerging this season, and he certainly did. Six tackles, uh, three and a half tackles for loss, one pass breakup, one quarterback hurry. Uh, he was one of those Dick, uh, Dick Vitale, you know, stat sheet shuffer, stu stuffers. Um, and uh, I thought he played uh, very well. And that bodes well for the rest of the season. I know there was a, a point in the game where it looked like uh, he got rolled up on and went into the tent. And I was really concerned about that. And then uh, a series or two later, he's actually back on the back on the field playing. Uh, I got a kick out of, uh, I think even Herb Street thought that Quinnen was still uh, in the tent uh, because he said, you know, John, Johnny Dwight comes in and Quinnen is number 92 and Johnny White, Dwight is number 95. So I think he saw sort of a 90 flash and just assumed it was the other guy. But in fact, it was Quinnen coming in, making yet another of his his big plays. I thought the secondary, again, was solid overall. They had some misses, but less than I expected. I thought they played very, very well. Uh, the players, again, sort of going back to the preseason defensive uh, show some of the players that I expected to really show out. They did. Deontay Thompson, been a big fan of Deontay Thompson. If you've listened to our last season shows, uh, I just raved uh, about him last year and the future that he, that he held in the secondary. You know, he was another guy that was everywhere making plays. He had five tackles, one for loss, uh, three pass breakups and uh, a big interception. And then you got to just go hats off to Shy Carter as well. Uh, he only had one tackle, but, you know, he was everywhere making plays. He had a pass breakup, and then he had a big interception return for a touchdown. That was certainly exciting. And uh, Savion Smith had six tackles. So he, again, was out there uh, making big plays. I think we have a lot of opportunity to grow in the secondary. Um, you know, Trayvon Diggs got the start. Patrick Sertain, uh, Patrick Sertain uh, got some run as well. Xavier, Xavier McKinney, uh, some run. I'm, you know, I'm not sort of calling them out as the premier players this week, but I think they have the opportunity. Each one of them have opportunities uh, to make plays as the season goes on. So the secondary will continue to get better and better and better. And if this was their first showing out of the gate against a team that has three quality wide receivers and uh, Bobby Petrino offense that's that's known for passing the ball around, then that's a pretty darn good showing. And if that is the basis from which they build – then they are starting from uh, a more advanced position than even I was expecting. Now, I do think the offense was chippy, and I think they were sloppy uh, at times. There were a total of 10 penalties, uh, and some of them were just painfully frustrating uh, penalties. Uh, Savion Smith was, was uh, sort of a mouth runner. Uh, Saturday night, uh, Anthony Jennings was very chippy. He got some pushes and some shoves that he didn't need to, and then Christian Miller uh, was the recipient of sort of getting blasted in stereo from uh, Lapui uh, and um, and Saban, but he kept a drive alive with uh, with a just a complete unnecessary shove. You let that go right, and you go line up. It was a third down. That shove gave uh, Louisville a first down. And get this: here's what here's what happened on 
that subsequent possession, right? The possession was over. They were going to punt. Uh, but with with the first down, with the personal foul, 15 yards, the drive sustained, and they scored a touchdown on that drive. And so Saban was emphatic that we gave them a touchdown. We gave them a touchdown. And so when, when I said Louisville was going to score 21 points and they only score 14 points, and, and seven of those points come literally after they should have punted, uh, you know, that's where I say the defense played a lot better than I expected. But here's what else happened on that drive. Um, that subse- those that subsequent series after they should have punted, that's when Quentin Williams hurt his knee and had to go out. Now, fortunately, he wasn't hurt. Uh, fortunately, he was able to come back and play. But there was there was the the play where, in fact, Mac Wilson was hurt as well, and just I think I clawed into my chair. Uh, when two Bama players were down, Quinnen and Mac down on the same play, and they were down on the same play, a play that never should have happened. Now, fortunately, they're both okay. Mac could have came come back, uh, but didn't, and Quinnen did come back. I guess I'm not sure why he did if Mac didn't, but okay, that's fine. Uh, it at least demonstrated that he's was full strength and able to come back in. But those are two players that went down. Louisville scored a touchdown on a sequence of plays that never should have existed. Um, and, you know, I'm not mad at Christian Miller for it necessarily, but it's one of those things like, hey, young man, let's get this right. Let's clean this shit up because it can have um, significant ripple effects uh, if we're if we're playing unnecessary plays and uh, the opportunity is there for people uh, to, to get injured. So that's something we have absolutely uh, have to watch out for. All right, so on defense, who is my mini game ball? I'm going to I'm going to kind of do what Tommy does and I'm just going to, you know, sort of uh, break the system. And I'm going to give an I am giving my mini game ball to Quentin Williams's knee brace. Um, it did. I, I hate to go back and look at injured injury plays, but sometimes you just got to look and see, you know, what what's kind of going on there. I always regret it when I do, but it looked worse than clearly it was. He, he sort of got hit low and, and got hit high. And, and those oftentimes don't end well. Uh, fortunately it did for him and he was able to come back into play. So being a little bit silly and, and, and <laughs> a little bit serious that uh, I'm giving my uh, mini game ball to Quinnen, Quinnen's um, knee brace. Let's move on to special teams. You know, I think there's a little bit of ho-hum and, uh, and there's certainly some things to be excited about here. Uh, Austin Jones, you know, I, I give him a, I'm going to give a little bit of ho-hum. Uh, he was one of two on field goals and six of seven on PATs. Um, how do you miss a PAT? And then the field goal, I think, was was a makeable distance. So, you know, there's work to do there. So let's get that done. Uh, Joseph uh, Bullivus did the kickoffs. I think he acquitted himself there, uh, well there. Uh, Skylar DeLong, you know, was three points, averages 36 yards. A um, lot of room for improvement there. I think uh, I think uh, uh, J.K. was 10 yards better than that season average last year. So Scholar's got some work to do there. I'm not saying he won't. Uh, we'll just have to see it. So I'm kind of ho hum on uh, on the three kickers. Um, but the return game that is exciting. Jeff Banks um, has really. Uh, you can see delivered some excitement to to the special teams and certainly to the return game. Um, Josh Jacobs, a kickoff return uh, for a touchdown. 
it's uh, it's been a little while since we have we've had one of those. And in fact, it was a national championship game against Clemson. Uh, Kenyon uh, Drake returned one for a touchdown. So those are super exciting plays. And when Josh did that, uh, certainly representative of him being full strength, full health, the fact that we would have him back there. So that is truly exciting. And then uh, uh, Jalen Waddell uh, with his punts, he had four for 80 yards. So uh, 20 yard average, and he actually had one that he returned for a touchdown. But uh, my boy Joshua McMillan uh, made an unnecessary block in the back, and so that had to be called back. But uh, what he did is he truly established himself as a breaker, a game breaker at that position, and uh, something we've not had. Uh, Alabama's not had in a while. So the fact that he had four for 80, uh, he caught the ball, fielded the ball clean. Uh, we struggled with that at times last year. I think we've had, I think we had three guys drop punts. Uh, last year. So he filled the ball clean. He made good decisions. And these are un, these are not highlight real stuff, but he made good decisions on when he was going to fair catch, when he was going to return the ball, and, uh, and then filled the ball cleanly. And those are the reasons why Saban is reluctant to put youngsters out there because those are, those are, you know, it's easy to get excited about. It. I'm going to get this ball and return it back for a touchdown every time. No, that's not how it works. The first thing you do is manage your floor. If you go out there and get sloppy because you think you're going to return it, then you're just going to fumble it. Um, so let's manage the floor. Can you make the right decisions of when you field it? Can you field it clean when you field it? Make the decisions on, am I going to return this or fair catch it? Uh, I thought he was, um, was expert level. I thought he quitted himself well in that decision-making process. And then, then he was able to exercise uh, his athleticism in, in moving the ball up the field. So 20, 20 yards per return. And again, he had a big one that would have gone for a touchdown, uh, save for a block in the back play. And those are the types of things that are going to happen. They're also the types of things that can be cleaned up. So I think there's a lot of room for excitement, a lot. I am really excited uh, about what we have um, available to us in special teams. And it just goes back, right? In this game, we scored touchdowns in all three phases of the game. Offense, clearly. Uh, defense with Shai Carter returning a, an INT for a touchdown. And special teams with um, with a kickoff return. Now, we're not going to do that every week, but, it, but when you can do it, it's special. And I think special teams – will have an increased opportunity, an increased threat on a week-over-week basis to uh, to put up points. That's exciting. That is not something that we've had a lot of recently, so that'll be fun to watch. All right, next up, what do we have? We have Arkansas State coming to town, the Red Wolves. This is uh, the college. This is the university where Gus Malzahn got his start, and um, – I'll go way back. There was a running back, and I wish I could remember his name, but he selected – this is under the DeBose era. I want to say Jonathan Allen, but that's not it because obviously we know Jonathan Allen's a, uh, a defensive lineman that, that played recently. But uh, it was, it was um, like Jeffrey something. I think it was a, it was a J.A. name, if I remember. Uh, at any rate, he chose Arkansas State over Alabama in the recruiting you know, back in – the late nineties. So I always remember Arkansas state for that. Um, at any rate, Arkansas state is known for their passing attack. Uh, they have tall, uh, they have, I think three or four, uh, really tall receivers and they are known for distributing the ball. I think they will, 
uh, look at athletically, they're not going to match up with an Alabama. Certainly, certainly a fully loaded Alabama like we, what we've got. But what they do have the capability of doing is testing our secondary. Uh, big receivers, they can run four or five, four or five of them out there. So we're going to see a lot of nickel and dime against this squad. And, uh, and they're going to put up some creative uh, pass plays. I think they are going to, to move the ball in the air. You know, Louisville is, is probably uh, a better version of what we're going to see from Arkansas State. But I think Arkansas State now has some tape, and they're going to understand, hey, what worked, what might not work. And we've got some tape. We know who to go after and exploit. And so um, I think they're going to they're gonna take advantage of that. Uh, I think it's a really good test for our secondary. Like I said, they acquitted themselves well uh, Saturday against Louisville. And I think they have next up Arkansas State, which is, which is a really good uh, segue and transition and prep for, um, for playing Ole Miss. And they're going to light it up, too, with some tall – uh, receivers and what is proving to be uh, of a very good quarterback there at Ole Miss. So these three games, um, again, there's certain genius that, that Saban has in in scheduling and picking who you're going to play and how we match up against them and how that matchup serves us, not only for that game, but helping us prepare prepare uh, for other games. So we've got three weeks in a row where we're going to see, you know, offense has really put the ball in the air. And uh, against a young secondary, they're going to get better and more reps every game. And this is a great opportunity for us to uh, take full advantage of that. So that's sort of what I see uh, in terms of a score. Look, I think the Alabama offense is going to be as prolific, prolific as we've talked about. I think the running game will establish itself even more. I think this is a team that physically we will be able to, to beat up and wear out. And so I think it's almost name your score. I see a a 58 to 10 type game. I see our defense really being stout, um, but I see them busting plays. And uh, if they have a field goal kicker that can that can uh, knock in some kicks, and I think they get, uh, I think they do break out for a touchdown. I think I do think they get in position for a couple of kicks. So they may have three scoring drives uh, on us, which is more than we would want. But uh, you know, certainly. Uh, I think they're going to pick on our secondary and have some success there. So that's what I'm saying there with a 58 to 10 uh, score. And certainly when we score 58 points, uh, probably over 500 yards of offense, um, probably well north of 500 yards of offense, we're certainly making hay and doing what we want to do as well. Well, I think that wraps up what we have to talk about today. Uh, I really appreciate folks uh, re- responding to our preseason shows the response that we've gotten there is phenomenal. A lot of folks just reaching out to say, we're glad you're back. We really appreciate it. And uh, a lot of folks also reaching out to indicate that they would support us in some listening listener uh, support model. So we're going to see about putting together something with Patreon. Uh, we probably had quite a number of people suggest that to us. We're going to look into that, see if we can't set something up there and, uh, you know, continue to do what we do here. But give you guys an opportunity to, uh, you know, contribute because we'd certainly appreciate uh, that as well. As always, feel free to reach out to us uh, at Alabama football podcast at gmail.com. 
uh, Alabama Football Podcast on the Facebook, and we will reply, uh, engage with all of you guys. We really love it. Look, uh, love doing that. Enjoy doing that. Look us up on iTunes and uh, subscribe and leave us a review if you would. That really helps us in the rankings. That really helps us attract new fans and draw new fans into the podcast fold. So we really appreciate that. With that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.